Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Jen, and with me are... Venture Hardware And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. On today's Slash Filmcast, we got some what we've been watching to discuss with you. We got some Disney Plus action to run down with you, our listeners. And also, uh, we have an in-depth review coming up later of Ford v. Ferrari, the new James Mangold movie starring Matt Damon and Christian Bale. So a lot to get to today. You can find Dave, more- I don't understand how um, there's been two episodes of a new show out and it <laughs> We, we did it. We did a show last week at this time. Yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. How does the math work? Is it was a month ago. Of... It was apparently that was a month of time in the past week. I yeah, don't know. Just so, some so... sort of time bending situation that I was a wormhole <laughs> that I didn't know I fell into. What happened? We're on in... the edge of the event horizon. That's mm-hmm. what it is. In in the last week, uh, Disney Plus has come out and two episodes of The Mandalorian have been released is what Jeff's yeah. referring to. I don't and understand. It, it does feel like it's been a really long time since that all that happened. Yeah. Um, so anyway. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Now, uh, last week on the podcast, uh, we had Patrick Klepek on the show, and we talked about how his wife is a huge fan of me, David Chen. Um, Did we? Did we talk about that? I think we talked about that a little bit, and I uh, mentioned that I think like an appropriate name for fans of David Chen is like Chenophiles. Jeff, I think you said Chenheads is a solid name as well. But, you know, Brad Sucks, the musician who listens to this podcast, and actually, uh, once I, I, for quite a while, we used his music as the theme song of this podcast. Uh, he messaged me and he said, I'm listening to the Slash Filmcast, and they should be called Chenthusiasts. So mm-hmm. I, I just I believe felt, I suggested Chensky Fanskis. Uh, I think Chenthusiasts is better than that, is what I'm trying to say. Chenthusiasts. Hmm. I think Chenthusiasts is pretty solid, and you know, from this point forward, I shall be referring to my attitudes, uh, attitude towards movies as my Chenthusiasms, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. So yeah, we all did that together, everybody. Yep. Yep, we did. We did. I mean, this is we're what two episodes away from Devin. You were saying Terminate Dad is a thing. So <laughs> I feel great. like it's great. I feel like Chenthusias is completely acceptable in that context. Well, well I, I think we need to come up with um, uh, hardcore Awara fans. I don't know. What do we <laughs> What do we got for Davindra? <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Do you have a, You have a term, Kanata heads or whatever? Is it? Uh, Kanata. No. <laughs> we had the two ends one team for a while. Oh, two ends one team. That's pretty good. Yeah, two that's great. One. Yeah. Well, in any case. Uh, let's let's get to the show itself and talk about what we've been watching this week. As Jeff indicated, in the last week, Disney Plus has come out, and uh, it was released. I think shortly after we published uh, or recorded or published our podcast last week, mm-hmm. uh, Disney has already publicly stated that they have. Uh, 10 million subscribers at the end of day one, which I think was their goal for the end of year one. So that's nice. It, and, it turns out holding all this content hostage is a smart idea. Like, yeah, people will pay for it. So uh, I, all of us got Disney Plus. Is that right? Did, did it, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I, how did you guys get Disney Plus? Like, what was the uh, circumstance? I gave them my credit card, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I mean, like, did you sign up for Like, there was this pre-order deal that you get three years for yeah. basically like $4 a month. Um, I, did, I, I was dumb. I should have done that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. do that either. I yeah. missed that. Yeah. Um, but uh, they <laughs> I do... did it at 11 p.m. The Night Mandalorian came out. <laughs> yes. Like like some sort of crackhead 
wanting wanting my Star Wars. I did know? that day the same thing, but uh, to preload the app so I'd be ready for it, ready for Mandalore. I did the. I uh, saw I, a tweet. I saw a tweet online where somebody said, "Oh my God, it's up!" And it, yes. it should have. It was a picture of them standing in front of their TV with Mandalorian on. And I went <laughs> over. I literally got out of bed, walked into the living room. Turned on my Roku. You, in fact, the... didn't wake up throughout this entire process. You just, yeah, yeah. Your body just got up and did <laughs> it, it. acted on its own. <laughs> and I downloaded uh, the app on my Roku, put my credit, painstakingly entered my d- digits of my credit card. It took an hour and a half to, with the remote <laughs> arrows, putting my credit card what in. What is I happening did a, over in Rokuville? The like, man, worst way I could solutions. do it. It's, yeah, it was the worst possible version of that. Wow, but that then I watched, awful. I watched Ma- 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 Mandalorian at... Until midnight. That's I will nice. say I uh, uh, paid for the seventy dollars uh, seventy dollars for a year. Um, yep, so same. like mm-hmm. you pre-order, pay seventy dollars for a year, and you save a little cash. Jeff, it sounds like you didn't do that, but I'd recommend that because you'll save a little money that way. Yeah, um, you have kids, Jeff. You yeah. have kids. Like anybody with kids, you you have to have this. It's, it's a requirement, unfortunately. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to hear like what your ex- we're going to talk about the Mandalorian later, but like what was your experience using the Disney Plus app? Because I think as I'm scrolling through this thing, it just is like wow, my entire yeah. childhood is here, like laid out in the form of these little tiles that represent these shows and films. Right? They talk a lot. They've talked a lot over the last thirty years about the quote Disney Vault. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is the Disney vault. This is it. This is the vault. You're now witness the, the power excited. of this fully yeah. operational Disney vault, basically. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, we were wondering what we Skynet would be, and really it's going to be the unstoppable digital streaming service that everybody will have to subscribe to. Actually, yeah. that, what you're saying is literally the plot of Terminator Genesis. Um, yes, so, yes. But in any case, Jeff, sorry, you were saying something. No, not really. Okay. I, I I would just, <laughs> you know, it, it, you're, it, it's amazing the... My favorite thing about the service is the weird stuff that they managed to put on there. All of the the real uh, obscure Disney stuff that it's like, yeah, 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 I, I'm down for that. I'm down for watching a little uh, Black Cauldron. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> you know? So that, my wife. There's like all my, kinds of cool stuff there. My wife and I watched Bedknobs and Broomsticks this week. Um, because movie. She, she was a big fan of that, fan, uh, that movie uh, growing up. And... Uh, that is a really weird movie. I mean, it starts out yeah. with this Angela Lansbury uh, plays this woman aspiring to be a witch, right? Uh, in order to help defeat the Nazis with her witch powers. Yeah, man. And then b- by like the two thirds mark, they are playing soccer with cartoon animals. He's trying to win the soccer game with cartoon animals. Are you trying to suggest there's a better reason to become a witch? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I am, and I'm failing, apparently. Also, uh, about halfway through, like a bunch of people show up in brown face, which uh, like, I didn't remember from my childhood, but it's just like... Uh, that's oh, why right. those lawyers came up with that uh, uh, disclaimer on every older piece of Disney content. Uh, this, this may contain outdated cultural depictions uh, before warned before yeah. you watch the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, anyway... It's it's interesting because you're like, oh, yeah, this is why I love this thing. And, oh, wow, like times have certainly changed, you know. So uh, it, it's it's just this really amazingly powerful shot of nostalgia that hits you when you start scrolling through this thing. Every Simpsons episode ever is on here. But, of course, uh, it's been reported online widely 
that it's in the wrong aspect ratio. The first, I think, 19 seasons are in the wrong aspect ratio. Yeah, or something. Because they, they remastered the entire show for HD. So the, it is a full HD remaster, so it fills your screen. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah but most yeah. of the original episodes were in a 4x3 format. Yep, so they're yep. basically stretching it to, uh, or cropping it, I should cropping say. It. Cropping um, it most of the time. Yeah, cropping yeah. it I, to, let, yeah. Let me just tell you guys, I was at the Disney Plus uh, press day, like the early preview for this. And as soon as I loaded up that season two Simpsons, I was like, to the CTO, I was like, guys, this is going to be a problem. Uh, <laughs> fast forward to launch day. It's a it was a pretty big problem for a lot of people uh, on top of the instability and other things. Yeah. But it sounds like they're they're willing to do the four by three next year. It just won't be remastered. So it'll be like the old 480 version yeah. that you got on DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, unclear how that's going to work. My guess is they're going to let you choose between the aspect yeah. ratios. No, fa- my guess. the FX app did this years ago. Yeah. They had this tech. They just disabled it. So Yeah, for Simpsons, know, Simpsons World, right, which is no yeah. n- no longer exists, right? So mm-hmm. I just uh, love the phrase, the first 19 seasons. <laughs> <laughs> There's very few shows you can say that phrase yeah. about, right? Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, so so it's temporarily the wrong aspect ratio, but hopefully they'll get better. Uh, I would say, though, in general, the presentation of this content is excellent. I mean, it looks awesome uh, on Disney. Well, they didn't tell anybody there was going to be Star Wars 4K versions on this they thing. Didn't. I, yeah, what? they didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing that that was like a, a secret uh, Easter egg waiting to be discovered when you look, booted up your Disney Plus. And I immediately jumped in and was like, yeah, I'm checking out. Some Empire in 4K, and ooh, that's real pretty. It's a really good remaster. Apparently, it was part of a 4K remaster George Lucas was doing ahead of like 3D re-release of the movies in the theater, and that just didn't really happen. Uh, the good things about that, uh, Dolby Vision looks fantastic, like Star Wars and HDR. It's so good, and the 4K is good, and the Atmos sound is good. Uh, I cannot believe George Lucas's final gift to the Star Wars fandom is McClunky. It is Greedo shouting McClunky during the uh, during the Han shootout. It's so it's let's hilarious. let's clarify what you're talking about in the original Star Wars, which is very difficult to find now. Like the the, the theatrical release of Star Wars, uh, Han Solo is confronted by Greedo, who's going to take him in, and rather than be taken in by Greedo, Han Solo shoots Greedo dead in cold blood. In right? cold blood, yeah. And this was a sign of Han being a roguish figure who had no regard for the law. Uh, And it was at the beginning of a uh, very meaningful character journey that he would embark upon during episode four, A New Hope, uh, that would then see him start to give a crap about things by the end of that movie. And uh, is a very, very meaningful arc that starts with a very memorable scene of him assassinating Greedo. Now, in the special editions, uh, George Lucas changed that because he's like, hey, it's too upsetting for one of the heroes of this franchise to just murder someone right off the bat. I mean, who cares that he was kind of doing it in self-defense? It's basically murder. And he changed it so that Greedo shoots first. Uh, but of course, in the online fandom, they were people were re- pretty upset about it, and like a whole hashtag Han shoots first, Han shoots first T-shirts, everything sprung up to to reinforce the idea that guys, Han is the one that shot first. That's what gives his arc the most meaning, right? So I thought this like, this was basically done. Like this whole yeah, this debate was twenty years ago was over. Come right? on, is, is that like George Lucas made the change? People were unhappy with it, and George Lucas wore the shirt. Of Han shoots first, yes. 
Yeah, yeah. He, so he, he has been it. actively trolling this whole thing. Like when I believe when they hit Blu-ray, there was another like slight change. He just kept like tweaking it little by little just to drive people insane. And McClunky, which uh, everybody saw, like as they were rewatching that remaster, people were freaking out. It was like, how the hell? How? It's a whole other word in the scene now. And now they're both shooting at the same time. It doesn't make any yeah, sense. So in and, this yeah. in this new version of 4K Dolby Atmos that's on Disney Plus. Um, they they shoot simultaneously, but before they shoot simultaneously, Greedo says the word McClunky, right? Yeah, and that that's very <laughs> confusing because I because I don't think it's been has it been established what McClunky is yet. Like, do we no, understand that? No, they, I'm waiting for some Room Two Thirty Seven type shit where somebody really goes into like what is what, what is Lucas trying to say about McClunky? McClunky is it is it Greedo's backstory? Is there some hidden secret here? Um, it is Rosebud. It's his rosebud. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we're gonna find out in Rise of Skywalker. Like, it's no, there's gonna... a there's a Greedo spinoff movie that's uh, all. It's called uh, Greedo: The Mystery of McClunky, and <laughs> uh, we'll find out a very. You find out how he got the name Greedo. Uh, he was going through customs, and they were like, "Hey, you seem real greedy. I'm gonna call you Greedo." <laughs> well, I hate to I hate to tell yeah. you this, but I'm I'm looking it up online right now, and according to Brian Young, uh, the word McClunky was used by Saboba, the character in Phantom Menace. Uh, uh, he, he says, my Huttese is a bit rusty, but roughly translated, it means this will be the end of you. So there, there so is gives the, him a warning. He there says, is I'm going to kill you. This will be the end I'm, of you. Fire the I'm gun. A, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to kill you. And then <laughs> that gives Han the clearance to go, oh, he, he was going to kill me. <laughs> I'm not yeah. bad. I... This is it's sort of the stand your ground law of Star Wars. Yes, everyone knows that if you're about to kill someone, you start by announcing your intention to kill them, right? Like, I mean, yeah. Star Wars is basically like the, the duel, bride? the dueling age of the 1700s. It's yeah. like you, it's the Princess yeah. Bride, it's, yeah. it's what we do, yeah. it's what we got to do. Uh, by the way, in that scene, Han Solo also shifts left, so it's sort of like he's dodging the blast. Like, <laughs> oh, so many changes, things are just keep changing. I find this hilarious. This is Lucas's final gift to the fandom, and it's amazing. So did you guys watch uh, any of the Star Wars movies like in their entirety or just yeah. sample a bit of it? Like, What did, what did you watch? What, what did you think of it? Just a bit. Uh, I started New Hope uh, mainly for that opening sequence. And yeah, the, everything, the, the opening crawl, the uh, what the starship over, like coming over the top of the screen. I was really astounded by how just how Darth Vader looked in the all white rebel ship like it is the contrast is so stark it's like he is leaping off the screen in 3d because of the way dolby vision kind of handles brightness and dark levels so yeah it uh it's astounding i can't wait to watch them all in this format and also the prequels are also you know re redone we can rewatch the phantom menace and attack of the clones i'm actually really looking forward to rewatching attack of the clones jeff can i yeah, anything I, you watch yeah I dove into, uh, jumped around a little bit in Empire. I basically watched all of Hoth and uh, jumped around a little bit just to see how pretty it looks. And <clears throat> I was talking to you guys about this a little bit before we started recording. It's it's remarkable to me. I've seen Empire, I don't know, dozens and dozens of times. Most of those times, the vast majority of the times I've seen that movie, I watched it in four by three on a VHS tape recorded off of HBO. <laughs> You know, yeah. right there with you, right there with you, man. Yeah. Crappy, crappy, crappy. And to see this movie or all of these movies in that glory is to sort of rediscover them. I mean, I've seen them since I've seen 
theatrical re-releases. I've seen, uh, you know, special editions, et cetera, et cetera. But there's something about that 4K in my own home on a big screen in my living room. I, I haven't watched it this way in, in really ever. And it is extraordinary uh, just to kind of, kind of see the the nooks and crannies of scenes that I know very, very well, but have never really been able to see them in this way, see them in, you know, 16, nine or, or even, I guess it's even more extreme than that. Cause it's, yeah, it's letterboxed. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's really cool. It's really, really cool to be able to have that on demand in my home. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Very, very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that when a filmmaker messes with his work in a way that, can upset uh, the fan base it, like in a way that I think like undercuts the emotional arc of one of the most beloved characters of all time. It kind of stinks. And you know what else yeah. kind of stinks? Uh, me you? without the help of our sponsor this week, Native. Jeff, yeah. tell us about Native. Yeah, Dave, uh, thanks for pointing out that you stink. I do not stink because I've been using Native. Uh, Native, my friends, is a simple, effective, safe deodorant. Something that people use in the bathroom every day. But this is created with trusted ingredients, fewer ingredients than you're probably used to in a deodorant. And it is loved by many. Check out the 9,000 five-star reviews from customers. It works, it is aluminum-free, but that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on product performance. I've been using Native. I actually got two different scents. They have um, a whole bunch of different scents, including coconut and vanilla, which is their most popular. I have that. Lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, and eucalyptus and mint. I got the cucumber and mint. I had no idea what that was going to smell like. Cucumber and mint? What? Am I going to smell like a salad? No. It's delightful. Can I tell you how delightful? My wife, my wife. Uh, walked into the bathroom and said, honey, can I borrow your deodorant? I love how it smells. That's, uh, she had no idea that it was a sponsor. She had no idea what was going on. She just knows that most of the time she doesn't like how I smell, but now <laughs> she does. It's so, it's, it's so worth it. Uh, Native is aluminum free, safe and effective. All those delicious scents for men and women. Plus they released a new limited edition seasonal scent throughout the year. They also have the unscented formula and the bacon soda free formula for those with sensitivities. There is no risk to try native. They offer free returns and exchanges in the United States. So stop stinking. Use something that you can trust that's got fewer ingredients than most. It's, it's, it's ingredients you know, simple ingredients you understand, and you smell great. Give it a shot. Um, we have a special offer for listeners of the Slash Film Cast. If you want 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and then use that promo code FILMCAST during checkout. That's 20% off your first purchase by going to nativedeodorant.com. That's N-A-T-I-V-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. And then the promo code FILMCAST, which is all one word, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, during checkout. Give them a shot. I think you're going to dig it. I really dig mine. Native! Thanks to Native for sponsoring us this week. All right, folks. Let's move on and talk about something else we've been watching on Disney+, and that is The Mandalorian. One of the high-profile launch titles 
that is a Disney Plus original, right? It's exclusive to Disney Plus. Takes place in the Star Wars universe. Stars uh, Pedro Pascal as a Mandalorian. And uh, I, I mostly want to hear what you two gents think about this. And and I, I assume that uh, we are we have to like talk about spoilers. I think because otherwise it's going to be really hard to talk about. So. I would yep. say we're going to spoil the first two episodes of The Mandalorian. If you don't want to know what happens, uh, then just skip forward. But uh, yeah, if you don't care about spoilers, here we're going to talk about it. So the first two episodes of Mandalorian. Devendra, I think, uh, you know, I don't know between you and Jeff, who has been keeping up with like the Clone Wars stuff, all the Dave Filoni stuff more. Uh, but I know you are really into that stuff, the extended universe stuff. Uh, so what was your experience of watching The Mandalorian? I'm actually not into the Dave Filoni stuff. Um, so what I really like, like there, there's been so much extended Star Wars stuff. I really love the Clone Wars 2D animated series that Gendy Tartakovsky did uh, around the prequels. And those were excellent. I haven't really watched the CG stuff just because I haven't really, I, I don't like the way they look. They have a very weird art style and Rebels in particular looks like cheap animation. And I'm sure Star Wars fans will hate me for this, but I hear the writing is very good. So going into Mandalorian, um, I was really excited to see like what Dave Filoni would do uh, as a director. This is his first live action directing gig. He's directed a lot of those earlier series. And uh, the series is written showrun by John Favreau. So th- those are seem like two top tier talents. I was blown away by the first episode. It gave me this really great. Um, it feels like a spaghetti Western. It feels like a samurai film uh, in the Star Wars universe. It is quiet. It is kind of sparse. It takes its time. We have real creature effects. We have real, you know, people in masks and puppet suits and things like that. Um, it just felt I, I really love the world. Um, I, I, it is kind of a problem that we don't really get to see Pedro Pascal's beautiful face. Uh, I feel like that's a hindrance for the series as a whole. But I'm really digging the world building and just like how much of a slow burn it is. Werner Herzog in the show <laughs> is astounding. Like we live in a world <laughs> where Werner Herzog is a Star Wars, like, I, I guess, like, underworld type guy. It's insane. And then then the reveal that they were, they really wanted to keep the secret. So let me tell you guys, I saw clips. I saw, like, interspersed bits of the first two episodes at this, uh, at the preview event. But they said we had to edit out certain scenes. And I think a lot of us were wondering why. And the reason why is Baby Yoda. They wanted to keep Baby Yoda a secret for as long as they could. I think some fan sites uh, had gotten wind of that because they saw the puppet on set or something. Uh, I know it's not a Baby Yoda. We don't know the name of the race yet, so lay off me, people. Uh, But I think that thing is amazing. And see, episode two is basically Lone Wolf and the Cub with the Mandalorian. I freaking love it. It's insane. Jeff Kanata, your experience of watching the Mandalorian? I was not super into the first episode. Uh, I thought it was good i thought it was a little goofier than i was expecting because i thought it was going to be more like this hard-boiled western uh and you know star wars has always been a space western Mm -hmm. this leans into space western it is absolutely lone wolf and cub dude cuts a guy in half in the first scene that is that was pretty hardcore for me to see yeah it just it just um you know there was a blue-faced dude in the first one that was like oh did they think they were making star trek because this is a star trek (laughs) character you know um, and, uh, I don't know. It, 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 it was like, I'm like, you know, solid, I'm in it, not loving it, but I'm going to give it another few episodes to see how I feel. Episode two, I think is far superior to episode one. I loved episode two and I am sold on this idea. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's cool. It is proof. I know you said it is sad that we don't see Pedro Pascal's face. Maybe. I think it's proof that the kinds of things that Hollywood has been unwilling to do previously, which is an entire show without any human faces in it, works. You know, there, <laughs> there was so long people were talking about, well, how do you even do a Halo movie? The whole thing about Master Chief is that he's got a helmet on. It's like, oh, no, you can just do a movie with the person who has a helmet on the whole time. And it, it's fine. There are ways to convey emotion with helmeted characters. And and I love the fact that this show is leaning into the fact that you don't have to pull off Django's helmet every two minutes, Attack of the Clones. Um, it, it, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's cool. It's sticking to what these characters, what makes them iconic is that look, is that helmet. And you, you can tell when he's tired. You can tell when he's yes. frustrated. There, there's an action scene in the second episode where he's just like, fuck it. I have a tiny knife and this is all I've got. And you can really see that frustration. But I know a lot of folks have been, I know Dave, like this was a problem for you, right? The fact that you can't really see Pedro Pascal's beautiful face. And that's how we will always refer to it, by the way. I mean, here's, here's what I've come to realize folks is I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. You know, I'm just like, uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. And is, is there really any function or purpose for me to share my opinion if you all are enjoying it? And well, almost you, you can everyone... say what you think, and I think we're both mature enough not to do <laughs> that. No, no, our, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's obvious. I, I don't care about you guys because we've fought about our opinions for <laughs> years at this point. But I think it's more like everyone is saying like, oh, it's so brilliant. The second episode is even better than the first. And it just... It just is not a show that works for me on on pretty much any level. I, I I'll say the uh, score is awesome. I love the score. It's like a a spaghetti yeah. western score, right? It's like such it's such a cool departure from yes, every Star yeah. Wars thing ever. Yeah, but it's also it's by the guy who did the Creed soundtrack, and I am like halfway waiting for the Rocky theme to start because it has kind of like a very similar rhythm at certain points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you it's know, it's interesting too how it seems. It seems like they've uh, adopted a new iconography for Star Wars properties, where it's got yes. you know, there's no, um, there's no opening crawl, there's no uh, fanfare. It's it's got its own thing. It's got that sort of Marvel style flipping through the comic thing that we've seen for Marvel Studios, but in the Star Wars universe with sort of masks and droids. Yeah, it has, it has its own like Star Wars intro. And one thing that's really cool about the show is the credits. They show you like the the concept art that went yeah, into that episode. Credits, yeah, that's very cool. Like, but uh, I, I mean, I think I I suspect we'll see that little clip intro of all the faces as the new Star Wars property stinger. You know, I think that's going to be the thing. If there are other Star Wars shows or you know non mainline movies, I think that's the. Right, That's because it wouldn't make sense to show the 20th Century Fox fanfare at this point, um, because right. it's owned by by Disney. Uh, but yeah, I think I think you're right. There is a new kind of visual identity for this thing. But I but mean, I, I would have appreciated. I'm sorry to keep interrupting no, you. Okay. I, I I would have appreciated a little bit of an opening crawl to sort of place it in a. Because <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. The same thing with um, you know, I'm playing. There's a lot of Star Wars happening right now. I'm playing the Jedi Fallen Order, which also just came out. And there's so many different timelines, and uh, this property takes place between episodes three and four, and this property takes place between episodes seven and eight, and this one. But, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like sometimes it feels like we we need to be placed. I need to be placed in a place without having to go to the internet to find out where this show sits in the very convoluted timelines. You know. Anyway, I think you could have benefited from a, a, a bit of an open I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, somebody somebody had tweeted, by the way, that. 
I can't believe I had to see Solo in the theaters and I have to see The Mandalorian on my TV. I forget who it was. It may have been Drew McQueenie, but I do feel that way. I do feel like this thing is beautifully cinematic and I would have I would have killed to see this on a nice big screen. Well, again, I mean, uh, glad you guys are enjoying it. Like every everyone I know seems to love this show and uh, far be it from me to try to take a crap all over that. I'll just say, watch the first two episodes. It's not for me. And, you know, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means yeah. it's not the show for me, you know, and I'm... Uh, That's uh, not good enough, Dave. I'm going <laughs> to press you out a little bit. I yeah. Honestly, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting conversation. Of course, I think presenting it this way, people understand. We're not here for the sweet arguments. Uh, you, can, you know, you don't have to save your tweets about why Dave is so, so wrong. <laughs> we can just have a conversation about why it didn't land for you because... I'm genuinely curious. All right. So uh, here's the things that, that did work for me. Uh, I think the – like Taika Waititi plays one of the, the, the droids, right? He plays that assassin mm-hmm. droid. I thought that was very funny. Uh, Baby Yoda is extremely freaking cute. I mean he's like – They they have perfected the the like eye to mouth and yeah, head ratio. He's like 80% percent eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it like completely works. Um, Eating that frog thing. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Such an still... unexpected like – Oh, Yoda, you know, just just straight up killed something alive. You know, it's pretty pretty sweet. Yeah, uh, but I I have many issues with it. But I think like the the biggest one can be summed up to I don't think the faceless protagonist does work for me. Mm. Um, I think that yes, a, a lot is communicated with body language, but like it's it's the combination of you can't see his face and he speaks almost completely in monotone for the entire time that he's on screen. And that just is not... Between that and, like, uh, the fact that extremely little dialogue happens overall, like, it's not like he has uh, anyone to really bounce off of. Typically, like, the archetype of that character in this kind of show is he would be uh, either a side character or one of the two characters where there's, like, one serious person. You know, he would be, like, um, uh, uh, Shrek to, like, some other character's donkey basically, right? Like, there's, like, a guy who's, like, super high energy, and he's bouncing off of this guy who's, like, just had enough of it. And without that dynamic, the the show is just, in my opinion, very difficult for me to get emotionally involved in. So... I would argue that there's a reading of uh, any of the Man With No Name movies as being Clint Eastwood wearing a mask through the entire thing. Except you can see Clint Eastwood's face is the problem with your argument. But his face is a mask. I mean, a very abstract level, Jeff. That's yeah. correct. But I feel like you v can v still v see his face. Yeah, V for Vendetta was the only thing with like a complete mask where the dialogue and performance was so flowery that it kind of gave you everything you needed. And, you know, the mask told the story, too. But I, mean, I, I, I would also argue yeah. that, like, that's not even necessarily the main character of that film. You know, like, sure, Guy sure. Fox is not necessarily the main character of that film. I think Patrick Willems, friend of the show, did, like, a uh, an interesting poll, right, where he said, like, when is an instance in which faceless protagonist has worked, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and he says, like, I'm talking totally faceless, not like Wally, and they have to be the main character. And then yeah. he, and then he f- did a follow up tweet. He says the common responses are V for Vendetta, where he's not the main character, Judge Dredd, where only half of his face is covered, yeah. and you Master see the frown. Yeah, right. You can see his frown, frown, and his grimacing, and that is a lot more to work with than uh, what Pedro Pascal is working with here. And Master Chief, uh, which you know, Patrick says, not counting games, since you instinctively empathize with the character you're controlling. So 
I like basically he had like 300 responses to this tweet and it doesn't feel like he identified an instance in which the face character worked. Well, so, well, sure. I, so other than I think one, I've told this story on the show before, but I went to theater school and, you know, I, I studied movement with a very, very famous clown and a mime. He was a world famous mime and clown. And he would talk a lot about how frustrated he was with David Prose and the Darth Vader performance because he thought if they had hired someone who actually had mask training, Darth Vader would have been so much more effective as a character, so much more intimidating that basically they just hired a really tall person who walked around the stage a, a whole, the mm-hmm. whole time and relied on the vocal performance to make it work. And I would argue, Dave, that maybe, uh, you know, Patrick Willems, uh, examination of the history of film and, and and television didn't yield anything, but there are hundreds of years of stage performances, Kabuki, um, uh, um, Commedia dell'arte. There are, there's a long tradition of mask work where the entire face is obscured, where all the characters in a piece are like that, or just mm-hmm. the main character and it works. So I, I, I think it can work. I mean, if it doesn't work in this particular case for you, that's valid. But I don't think that the idea of obscuring a face and I, not, I agree. And, and, I agree with you. You know, let me just say I don't think a faceless protagonist is is inherently uh, destructive to the creative enterprise. But I think it is the unique combination of factors that is this show, right? Which is faceless protagonist. Uh, he is not emotive. This is not a James Earl Jones-esque performance, right? This is not like uh, you can really hear him getting angry or whatever. And uh, uh, and also, like, it's not like there's like a bunch of other people around him who are um, emotional or like right, right. emoting, right? It's, he's not surrounded by characters who have recognizable human emotions because yeah. it's mostly just him for most <laughs> the of show the show. Really cool. I think that's it. They're doing the Clint Eastwood thing. Uh, where it, for Eastwood, it was really his eyes. You think of, or even like the openings of like a lot of Sergio Leone movies, like Once Upon a Time in the West, and that great like prolonged opening shootout, where it's just eyes and eye lines and silence. You know, so yeah, we we don't have a lot of those things in the show. Can I mention one more thing? Uh, one thing that does kind of bother me. Um, this is a John Favreau joint, and his stuff tends to be a bit broy. Well, to, we be, to be clear, he did not direct yeah. any of the episodes. He didn't direct, but yeah. he is show running. He's writing. Yeah, he's, he's show running. He's writing charge. every. Yeah, he's right. He, yeah. he is the guy in charge. Like yeah. he picked the directors, but he may direct next year. He says. Um, but in terms of the construction of the show, it is it is very broy. Like I'm looking at the IMD listing right here. There are two women out of like twenty to thirty dudes. I know Gina Carano is going to be joining eventually. Um, we're at a time where Star Wars has gotten a little more you know, a little more egalitarian with the, with the new trilogy and everything. And I feel like this is a little disappointing and man, we've never really talked about chef the movie, but I look at that movie. I'm like, man, I really see how John Favreau sees women and it is not great. So yeah, that, I hope, so, I hope so we get some improvements. What is yeah. your, is your beef just that like, there aren't any women. There are no in women. The show? There are yeah. no women okay. in the show. There are no women in the show. There are going to be two currently listed on IMDb and we're going to get Gina Crona, but there are no women uh, in chef. Every single woman in that movie serves to either adore or like revolve around for Rose character. And I won't spoil the ending of that movie, but I think that the ending of that movie, like the very final like minute 
is complete bullshit in terms of what that movie was actually constructing. It that also revolved around his relationship with a woman. So that's just one thing that bugs me. I, I would like to see a, a little more, a little more ass kicking, you know, uh, across genders. All right. Well, uh, I'm glad y'all enjoying it. I'm glad everyone who's listening to this podcast probably enjoying it. It's not for me. I might give it one more episode. Uh, and, but then I think I'm like ready to piece yeah. out of this thing. He's going to take off his mask. Like this is, this feels <laughs> like maybe a moot discussion. Cause he it is going to become a regular thing. Cause you don't cast Pedro Pascal and not show his face. I mean, I, I don't know. It's kind of what I thought. I wonder how much doing. of it is him. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of thought that's what they were. The whole thing of this was, uh, but also as it is made clear, Mandalorians can't take off their masks or they don't in general. So, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if they can. I don't know if he can. But we'll it's see. It's funny to me because that's literally my favorite thing about the show. <laughs> yeah. I love I love it. I, I, love I, it. I like it as an intellectual exercise. You know, I'm like watching it. I'm like, can, can you make a show with a faceless protagonist and have it be good? And in my opinion, the answer is no. I mean, like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm glad we have checked that one off the list now. Like, I now understand that it's really difficult. And this show, in my opinion, doesn't quite achieve it. Um, but I know a lot of people disagree. I think like, again, a lot of, I mean, we, we are what one or two years out from like, uh, Thomas Hardy, uh, playing the, his whole performance in Dunkirk is he's behind a mask. But even in that movie, you can like see his eyes still. And it's just like, wow, like what this movie, what this show has really given me an appreciation of is any instance uh, in which a character's face is obscured and you can see at least part of their face. Because I think that actually does make a huge difference. It's like the the marginal utility of going from you know zero percent of face to ten to twenty percent of face is huge, and then from twenty percent of face to like a hundred percent of face is like not that big. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, lessons that Dave Chen has learned from the Mandalorian. So, uh, in any case, let's move on. Jeff Kanata, anything else you've been watching this week? Um. Well, <laughs> it's funny to bring it up now. I. <laughs> I. Um, People had I had <laughs> talked a while back about uh, Dr. Seuss and um, my son watching The Cat in the Hat knows a lot about that. Uh, and people seem to be very uh, happy to hear me talk about the kids programming. So what's been happening lately, I, I don't know how much I've talked about this with you guys specifically and on the show in general, but uh, my kid is my son, three-year-old, the only one who's watching television right now. My, my daughter uh, is still not watching any screens. But <clears throat> he is a real uh, tools kid. He's, he's, he went for Halloween as a sprinkler. Uh, he loves being outside. He loves taking things apart. He's, uh, he's just into, into tools and making stuff which couldn't be farther from me. <laughs> My dad grew up as a child of the 50s and 60s. He was into building cars and taking apart cars. And this guy, I guess, relates a little bit to the movie we're about to talk about. But um, he, you know, his dream was to have me come out into the garage with him and work on a car. I couldn't have been less interested in that. I wanted to sit inside and think about my Star Warses and my comic books and my fantasy worlds. And that's what I loved. I loved computers and computer games. And uh, I, I, I just couldn't care less about building things. I didn't like tools. I wasn't into that. So I've, I've felt that my karmic reward is that my son seems to be taking after my father and not me. 
And so I have uh, long, you know, I, I, I want my kid to be happy and do the things he he wants to do and be excited about the things he's excited about. And I will support him and, and you know, be right there with him and cheer him on for the things that make him happy. But there's also a part of me that's like, man, I just just want you to be into superheroes a little bit. And, you know, dad, daddy knows a lot about superheroes. Are you curious about that? No, daddy, tell me about sprinklers. I want to go to Home Depot. I mean, his favorite place to go in the world is Home Depot. I'm not joking. He begs, begs to go to Home Depot. Oh, wow. I think you had down the aisle. Yeah. And I I think you posted like an Instagram photo of your Halloween costumes, right? And he was a, he was a garden hose, right? No, he's a, I just said it. He's a sprinkler. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. He was, and he has this very specific brand of sprinkler. He's a rain bird sprinkler. Not, not a, um, not a, uh, Oh God! What are the other ones? He knows all of the ones. <laughs> not a it Toro. Is, it is astounding what kids like really obsess yeah. over. It's insane. Rainbird, not a Toro, not a Hunter, Rainbird, and uh, yeah, he's yeah. super into it. He loves Home Depot. I mean, we go to Home Depot, and he, and he walks up and down the aisles of Home Depot like I walk used to walk <laughs> up and down the aisles of action figures. You know, he's like, "Oh, this one looks cool, Dad. Can I have this? Can I get this one? Oh, oh my God, this one's red. It's a red top." And I mean, that's what I used to do with you know action figure GI wow. Joe and Star Wars and stuff. Did you guys watch a lot of HGTV or anything? Uh, like when he started no, watching screens? No, not wow. at all. No, I don't know where, where does it this came come from. from? I have no idea. I have no no idea. Uh, but he latched onto it. Latched onto it hard. So. All of that is preamble to say <laughs> that I have sort of gently just tried to be like, hey, buddy, I got you this book about Spider-Man and uh, the Avengers. Do you want to read any of these? <laughs> no, Dada. Uh, you know, I want to read my st- my story about b- building I want to read the Sears catalog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If there was a Sears anymore. But yes. Um <clears throat> I mean, that's basically what it is. He wants to read about trucks and building and and, and uh, tools and stuff. And there's a little part of me that just like, you know, I love my kid. I will love what he loves and I'm not trying to force it. But also like, I wish you were into superheroes. Yeah. Your you dad know. must be happy at least. Yeah. Yes, my dad. Oh, and my dad and my wife's dad both super happy because they're like, <laughs> you know, into that stuff. Know how to build like handyman and very, very much that archetype which i am not which makes me feel very uh you know less than all the time anyway not to psychoanalyze me <laughs> the point of the point of this is somehow some way my son has just discovered a show on amazon <laughs> called pj masks have either of you heard of pj masks Yes, actually, because my wife is into like construction stuff too, and we're looking for kid content. So I think we have come across this. Yeah. Well, this isn't construction content. This is superheroes. Oh. PJ Masks is a superhero show, and my son has recently become completely obsessed with it. It's the only thing he wants to watch in the last week or so. <laughs> uh, there's like 30 episodes on Amazon. We've watched all of them multiple times. Uh, because they're like 15 minutes long. So he watches like four at a time um, before bed. And I don't know how to feel about this, you guys, because <laughs> PJ Masks is the most derivative, banal, <laughs> lame attempt at superheroes. And I, I uh, you got okay. your Twilight Zone wish, Jeff. That's <laughs> what this is. Yeah, I think I did. So. <laughs> I want to say this right off the top, right off the top of the bat. I actually think this PJ Masks show is decent, right? H- having watched it now ad infinitum, I actually think it, it, the animation is really well done. It's CG, but it's done very well. 
that it's directed really well. Like it's kinetic and interesting. The the shows are smartly written, but the concept (laughs) is there are three kids and at night they turn into superheroes. They turn into a cat boy, gecko and owlet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. Two boys and a girl. Three canonical hero types. Yes. Gecko and owlet. Okay. Now, this is based on a book series, I, I, I understand, but I have not read the books. So maybe there is some explanation in the books that is missing from the show. But you, you have to just discern from the title, PJ Masks, that they get their powers by putting on their PJs at night. The only thing the show tells you is that at night, Connor becomes Catboy. That it, it, every time it, it talks about them transforming, and they just transform into superheroes. There's no like it. It's a cool concept that like if you put your PJs on to go to bed, maybe you become a superhero. No, it doesn't tell the kids that. It's just called PJ Masks, <laughs> and then at night they become these superheroes. There's no connection to wearing your PJs. It doesn't look like they're wearing PJs. They're wearing superhero costumes. So. I think I'm making the correct leap in thinking, oh, they're in their PJs, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's completely ignored that, which I think would be a very cool thing to tell kids like, oh, if you put your PJs on, you can be a superhero. Okay. Sure. Yeah. There's that. Then everything in the show is so derivative and such a lame amalgamation of just generalized superhero tropes. It's like, they can do this stuff because that's what superheroes do. They, they have, I mean, they're all just well, a version they, of Batman. Basically, yeah, do, they, do they have like distinct abilities? I guess is the question. They have distinct abilities. Yes. Yeah. Gecko has strength and can turn invisible. Catboy has super cat speed. And <laughs> I, and I guess that's about agility. Uh, Owlet can fly mm. and has owl eyes that do something. Uh, <laughs> But they're all just sort of a variation on Batman. They all have <laughs> cars. The, the, the Catboy has a car. Gecko has a submarine. Owlet has a plane. But they're, but they're six-year-old children. They're right? six-year-old children. They drive them. They drive them. They ha- they, there's no explanation for why they have this <laughs> cr- incredible technology or access to these wondrous machines. Mm-hmm. And it's basically just the Batmobile, the Batwing, and the Bat sub it, it, it i mean they're themed around a, an owl a gecko and a cat but it is just a a complete ripoff of <laughs> generalized analog to batman it's just mm-hmm. like yeah. there's nothing there's nothing they're bringing zero to the table in terms of it's like it's like watching a photocopy of a photocopy mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah 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 and That's like most kids programming today. Jeff, at least you have the classic uh, Fox X-Men animated series on Disney Plus to get him into eventually. That show doesn't hold up, but it's still fun. But that's my question to you guys is, yeah. is this the gateway drug yes. or am I literally just showing him like I want my kid <laughs> to be Are you just showing him into, terrible art basically, right? I, want, I wanted my kid to be into fine dining and we're watching McDonald's. We're in we're <laughs> going to McDonald's constantly going maybe someday he'll be into fine dining. Not to say comic books are fine dining, but you know what I'm saying? I'm like, "Hey Jack, uh Spider-Man and Captain America and Thor like the the superheroes that everyone in our culture will be able to 
relate to and you'll be like daddy knows a whole lot about and we can relate He's like no dad dad i want to be gecko for halloween next year uh, okay okay but Ge- son gecko is only only exists because batman came first you, you can't fight their culture jeff this is oh, the problem no. of every parent yeah, you know, I mean, except now the, we are we are culturally aware, so it's going to be even harder. A A that sounds just completely soul destroying, Jeff. You know, like so. I really feel like to that. him. <laughs> What'd you say? For me or for him? For you, understand. for you you're, that you're, you're like have to dress up as these characters too, Jeff. Like you gotta. Oh, you I know. He, he already told. He already told us that Dada, you're going to be Catboy, Mama, you're going to be Owlet, and my wife's like, Why do I got to be Owlet? I, I, Mama can be Catboy. He, he's like, No, Mama, you're Owlet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think I kind of am in a laissez-faire, uh, you know, not that I know anything about any of this, but like, I think that um, I share Devendra's laissez-faire attitude that they're going to like what they like and you can't really do anything to control it. And you, you should do what you can to try to coax him into, uh, watching Avengers Endgame. Uh, but it's, if he resists, you know, you, you're, you're, you can only do your best, man. You can only do yeah. your best. Yeah, I also, agree also I, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you know this. Children have terrible taste like yeah. they and also it, it, their their attentions are very very fickle yeah so. it's not yeah. like uh it's not like oh my gosh like all children of your child's age have amazing taste and your child's taste is deficient because he likes pj masks right that's that's not the case it's no. most children have terrible taste at that age um well like i said you know it could be way worse uh there, there are shows that i have watched like dino dana uh, for a while, there, there are <laughs> shows that are just hard to sit through, and there's a lot of those. There's a lot of children's programming that is just like, Garbage. oh, just yeah. turn it off. This at least is watchable. But as I sit there, I'm like, this is, it's, it's committing <laughs> cultural thievery. It's just, it's just <laughs> like, it only it's, it's exists, cultural like say, vandalism. What this? Yes, this, that's PJ Masks. Yes. Yeah, that's right. They, you know, they, they're like, I'm going to do my super speed. I, it's time to do a super nighttime super walk. And it's like, you're just saying that. Cause that's what it's like this generalized pastiche, you know, it's, it, it's, 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 uh, so, so it's, it's the, it's the, uh, Quentin Tarantino pulp fiction of superhero films. No, not even. It no. is the copy of Boondock Saints. That <laughs> it, yeah, it is the Boondock Saints it's of the Boondock uh... Saints of superhero <laughs> movies. That's so good. That's so good, Dimitra. That's so good. It's AKA, totally that. AKA a movie that still has its fans and was oh. a huge hit <laughs> a uh, for its budget. Terrible movie. Yes. <laughs> that shouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know yeah. about you guys, but I still say that Boondock Saints prayer that they do—they execute the people. Uh huh. That's uh-huh, what I—that's yeah. what I say to myself when I go to sleep every night. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, so that's been my experience with uh, PJ Masks. Again, it could be a lot worse. It actually—it's actually a competent show with some really kind of well-directed action set pieces. Uh, you know, there, there's the three. By the way, the three villains are Romeo, a mad scientist six-year-old. Uh, Night Ninja, a ninja six-year-old, and Luna Girl, who is a, uh, I guess, a wizard uh, of some kind, six-year-old. Uh, so those are the three enemies that they constantly fight in various combinations. Uh, and the plots aren't terrible. It's just like, this show, it doesn't even believe in its own premise. It's not like even <laughs> enforcing itself. It's just like, here's I mean, a thing. 
kids like superheroes. Here's a superhero thing. Yeah. The most general sense of superhero. At least they're trying to build a narrative, Jeff, because there are so many like uh, that. The company that does Baby Shark has so many like other dancey, singy baby videos out there. And they're they're just like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what will be the next Baby Shark. So at least this has a narrative. At least this is a story, right? Yeah, well, at Jeff, least I, I mean, there's, there's a part of me that just is happy that he's into superhero narratives. You yeah, know? like yeah. like I feel like it's got I I got the I got a little foothold. Here, this is maybe. like this is like the monkey's paw version of him being into superheroes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's into PJ Masks. Well, Jeff, I've we've now been hearing you talk about PJ Masks for 15 minutes, and I you know in, in all ser- sincerity, it has been worth it. Um, <laughs> but here's here's the one question I'm left with uh, after hearing you talk about this is. Do you think Martin Scorsese would say PJ Masks are cinema? <laughs> Undoubtedly. <laughs> Does it provide insight into the human condition? Is my question about PJ Masks. Um, uh, yeah, and it if, sounds like it comes human, close, at least. It does come close. It certainly distance. makes me stare into the abyss that is my life. If that's what you mean. <laughs> well, that's PJ Masks. It's streaming right now on Prime Video. Uh, it's actually on Netflix, but yes. Uh, okay. Well, wherever it is, it's online right now. I would um, don't, don't love watch for you guys apparently. to watch an episode of this show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I, I will. Just review this Maybe thing. I will. Maybe I will. 15-minute um, episodes. You can do it. So, Oh, 15 minutes. Well, uh, so uh, before we get to our review, I do want to mention that at Jeff Kanata's recommendation, um, I watched Living With Yourself this week, the Paul Rudd perhaps limited series uh, it's not not clear if it's going to have a second season or not but uh, it's like eight episodes 30 minutes each uh and i really really enjoyed it uh I, f- I felt like this story of this marketer who's trying to balance his relationship with his wife and his creative pursuits and his career uh and and finding that he needs some reinvigoration because he's always on the edge of burnout uh strangely i found it to be relatable and uh, I was actually kind of moved by it. I was surprised by how moved I was by it because I think, Jeff, like so the way you described it, I don't remember your exact words, but you said something like it's about what happens like when you know, you've been in a relationship or in a situation for a really long time and, um, and you start to like potentially question your uh, motivations. You start to lose some of your joie de vivre and uh, that – uh, show really kind of dives into that idea in a really funny and smart way uh, mm-hmm. via Paul Rudd's character having a clone of himself show up, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed this movie. So I also show, think I that that you know most uh, romantic comedies, most three act structure things of any kind, are about someone who is having difficulty dealing with that difficulty and coming out of it a better person. And this show is interesting in that it has both that arc and a better person going through difficulty and realizing they might want to be a worse person <laughs> at the same time. Like it's mm. it's these two inverse arcs happening and intersecting at the same time, which I found pretty clever. Yeah. And I also really liked, uh, you pointed out last week, it's like a thing where you see the same events, but from different perspectives. Yeah, I love that. It's great because it just shows you like, oh, what, like this situation, I mean, it's primarily used to reveal uh, plot, right? It's like, oh, hey, all this other stuff was happening that you didn't know about. But separate to that, it's just this idea like, hey, every 
situation has two at least two different perspectives if there's two people in it, right? And uh, that's just valuable to be reminded of in general. So I really love the show. It's living with yourself. It's worth the four hours of your time, in my opinion. Check it out. Thanks for the recommendation, Jeff Kanata. Appreciate it. Yeah. So glad you liked it. Uh, speaking of things that uh, have the potential to make you feel better, Feels is our second sponsor for this episode of the Slash Filmcast. Devinder, tell us about Feels. Sure. Well, uh, let me tell you guys, my life is kind of stressful. I have a one-year-old. I have a very busy job. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot to juggle in my life. And I've started using Feels uh, to help myself feel a little better. I've used CBD products before, uh, but I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but CBD is kind of a mess as uh, there's so many options out there. It's really hard to tell if you're finding something that's good or actually, uh, you know, that will actually work. And the good thing about Feels is that it's premium CBD, so definitely high quality, and it's delivered right to your doorstep. And you don't have to go run to your bodega and hope that whatever you find actually works. Um, Feels helps you feel better naturally by reducing stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Uh, for me, I've used feels when I go to the airport or when I'm doing like a press event or anything, when, you know, um, I just feel like I'm going to be surrounded by a lot of people. I'm going to be really stressed out and a little anxious. Uh, feels does a great job of helping just lower that level of anxiety. And it makes me feel more, I don't know, more aware of things and less concerned about that whole stress. Uh, you just have to place a few drops under your tongue, hold it there for 30 seconds or so. And that's pretty much it. Uh, when I take it, I feel a very instant sense of relief. So, you know, this stuff actually works. And what I really like about Feels is that they offer human support. So there's a free CBD hotline and text message uh, that can help you figure out which dosage or which type to get. And uh, I guess the best part is, too, that it's all pretty, it's natural. It's not like additional chemicals. It's not anything weird. Um, and you can join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. So, Feels has me feeling my best every day. I hope it can help you, too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Thanks to Feels for sponsoring us this episode. Uh, thanks also to people who donated to this episode of the podcast. Julian Gray, thank you so much for your donations. Thanks to Tracy Shepard for your donations as well. And uh, subscribers, uh, new subscriber Michael Constantino, thanks for donating regularly. Uh, also, I want to give a shout out to Scott Ebert, who also donates regularly each month, but uh, a significantly larger amount than the default setting of $2. Thanks to Scott Ebert for donating. Uh, you can always donate to us by going to sla uh, SlashFilm.com using the SlashFilmCast tab and the PayPal links on the side of the page. Or go to PayPal.me slash FilmCast. That's PayPal.me slash FilmCast. Uh, we never want you to donate to us if it in any way causes you hardship. But if you do have the extra cash around, it does help us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show. If you want to help us out for free, it's super easy. Just go to... Uh, Apple Podcasts, leave a review for the Slash Homecast on Apple Podcasts or a star rating. That really does help. All right, guys, before we get to uh, uh, Ford v. Ferrari, I do want to just give a, a really quick shout-out to Watchmen, uh, Season 1, Episode 5. We usually just talk about the shows at the beginning and the end, but this episode was so ridiculously good. I did it's just want to give it a shout-out. It was like... I'm not caught up yet. Oh, okay. Well, Jeff, I won't say oh anything boy. about it. I won't say anything about it, but I'll just say I thought it was a remarkable episode of television. And yep. you should check it out. 
So it is leftovers quality TV. Yep. So so glad this really exists. Good. Really good. So season one, episode five, Watchmen, and I've heard it gets even better uh, in episode six. So like, uh, I, I think the first few episodes were a little rough in terms of like bringing new people in, but certainly episode five is great. Okay, I know. Well, we, like you haven't seen it yet, Jeff. Where, where where are you in the show right now, Jeff? Are you just one episode? I have behind, only or? watched the first episode so far. Oh my I, gosh. I I am ashamed of myself, but okay, uh, such is my life. I have. Uh, uh, Lots of other things going on. All right. Well, I do want to just give a shout out to the fact that Slash Film Daily is covering this uh, show every week. Ben Pearson is doing some uh, weekly recaps with them. And also, after every episode of Watchmen, um, I do a little Periscope broadcast with Ben where we just kind of react to the episode. So you can follow me on Twitter for that. But anyway, let's get to our review of Ford v. Ferrari. How long have we known each other, Ken? I ever break a promise to you? I will put you in the driver's seat at Le Mans. If you just shut your mouth and let me do my thing. All right. Come in. Morning, Shelby. Morning, Molly. I'm Pules. I'll go to hell. folks, Ferrari wins the 24 Hours of Le Mans for the fifth consecutive year. Mr. Ford, Ferrari has a message for you, sir. What did he say? He said Ford makes ugly little cars in ugly factories. And, uh, he called you fat, sir. We're gonna bury Ferrari at Le Mans. That was from the trailer of Ford v. Ferrari, and that is the title of the movie. It just... Ford v Ferrari, not versus, just v That's Ferrari. It. Yeah, Batman v Superman, man. Yeah, come yeah, on now. Yeah, we all know how that turned out. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary, from, uh, plot summary from IMDb. American car designer Carol Shelby and driver Ken Miles battle corporate interference, the laws of physics, and their own personal demons to build a revolutionary race car for Ford and challenge Ferrari at the 24 hour of uh, 24 hours of Le Mans in 1966. All right, Devinder Hardwar, you and I are big James Mangold fans. Uh, yes. I remember him talking about, I think I was listening to his like interview uh, for uh, the Q&A podcast where he was talking about Logan, and he was referring to like this movie as like a movie that is generally very difficult to get made. You know, it's not based mm-hmm. on anything. Um, there's not much, you know, uh, action or fighting in it. It's not like a genre movie. Just, just, just uh, a good Michael old Mann drama. Was trying to, Michael Mann was trying to tell this story too. Yeah. So there, there were sort of like competing ways to approach it as well. Just a good old drama with two really talented actors uh, at the top of their game. Um, so, yeah, I was really psyched for this. I assume you were as well. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Ford v. Ferrari? Oh, I absolutely adored it. Uh, I don't think I've seen a James Mangold movie that I don't like in some way. Um, And this feels like him just working, you know, at the top of his craft. Like, yeah, this is a movie about, you know, uh, two guys really trying to win a very grueling race, uh, the 24 Hours Le Mans. Uh, And it's, I I think it's easy to look at this movie and just see it as like, oh, this is just like a pure dad movie. This is just like a testosterone-filled bro fest where guys are talking about cars when men were tough and like they had great leathery faces and you know they did tough jobs they got dirty they're always dirty after working in the garage right things things were different back then and i've seen some reviews kind of say that and i didn't get that impression at all from this movie um 
it's definitely a broy film, right? This is a movie. The central relationship is Matt Damon and Christian Bale's characters who um, have sort of like a work wife relationship, basically like a, it's, it's a work spouse relationship where they are just so close to each other, working so closely. They, you know, go through highs and lows. They can hate each other while at the same time, you know, professing, like having a deep love and respect for each other as well. And I think that relationship kind of underpins this entire film. This is also a movie about, um, you know, creative individual visionaries trying to exist under a crushing corporate system. Um, uh, A.O. Scott made a good point where, you know, there's clearly a parallel towards making movies, towards making movies uh, as a director and, you know, using other people's money to make these million dollar things and have a individualistic stamp, you know, be creatively true to yourself while also, you know, being beholden to a corporation. There's a lot going on here. And I like how this movie juggles all that. And uh, I don't think this movie is that tough to sell either. Right. You've got big stars, but you also have like cars, cars and movies. Cars just look so great on screen. Um, there's a visceral feeling to it. And there's a ton of racing in this movie. I think they're shot and edited really well. I saw it in an IMAX screen here in New York and the sound design just like was fantastic. Like the feeling of cars and, you know, tires squealing on rubber and the roar of the engines it's all very visceral and i think mangold handled that all pretty well too but yeah for me the real key to this is that you know this is a story about two guys trying to achieve a vision uh in a way that you know i don't know like any creative you you think of like um the way steve jobs and johnny i've worked together to design things at apple and kind of how things changed maybe a little after steve jobs passed away um this movie explores a lot around that uh i wish uh i wish there wasn't a stereotypical like put upon wife i wish she had a little more to do uh but beyond that like this movie i adored it completely jeff canada your thoughts on ford v ferrari well dave (laughs) i guess you could say my thoughts about Ford v ferrari are best summed up in the form of a limerick Mm. if the title is what brought you on board (laughs) No Ferrari is largely ignored, and a lack of details is the reason it fails to even be Ford versus Ford. Wow. Nice. Well done, Jeff. Thank you. Tell us what you mean by that. Tell us what you mean by that, Jeff. This movie's fine. It's fine. Like, I think the actors are excellent. It's extraordinary to see see, uh, Christian Bale literally transform his body into more like what this actual human being looked like. Somehow he mm-hmm. sculpted his face to be thinner and, and longer than it usually is. Just more because... leathery. Like there's a great sunburnt <laughs> leather to his face. Yes. I really enjoy just watching. because the yeah. real guy looked like that. And yeah. Matt Damon's like, yeah, I'm just going to be Matt Damon if that's cool. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's extraordinary to see it. It's like, he always just does that. He didn't have to do that. Christian Bale. You didn't have to do that. It's fine, but it's cool that he did I, that. I think that is his normal face, though. I think it's his normal face just with a bit of a tan. Well, but it's longer and thinner and weirder looking. Like, his whole posture is weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, He's I mean, jutting it's a, his jaw out in a weird yes. way, and, like, his cheekbones are a little higher. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's it's as transformative as as he ever is. I mean, it's 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 he's not – I was watching this movie, and I'm like, that dude played Batman. Like, that this character couldn't be farther. I mean, drives a cool car too, but couldn't be farther from Batman. Forget about Batman. I mean, Vice came out last year. He was Dick. Dude was Dick Cheney a year ago. That's true. That's so true. It's crazy. Crazy. 
uh, unhealthy, wrong, but cool, I guess. Anyway, yeah, but but he did uh, say he did say his days of weight loss and gain are done. He says like yeah. I can't keep doing it. I really can't. My mortality is staring me in the face. He said. I think his doctor was like, you had one more to do, and you wasted it on Cheney. So good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. He and Damon are both very charming in this movie, and they're always fun to watch on screen. But I just – I don't understand why this movie is. It, it doesn't feel like it answers any particularly interesting questions for me. It doesn't give me enough of an insight into how this happened or why this happened. It, it, I mean, Le Mans is a race where four people drive for 24 hours – this movie, you'd think there was one dude who did everything. It, it, it completely ignores the other three people. I mean, it mentions that there are other people, but I don't even think it casts them. Like they don't exist in this movie's world. Um, the the details of building the car feel vague and sort of just. I mean, it really is. It's trying to be about the people, and it's trying to convince you that if it wasn't for this particular driver, then they would never have been able to do it except the fact that they did it three more times without him. And well, he also, he also designed the car basically like helped he really tweak that design. Yeah. yeah he co-designed the car. He, yeah. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the dudes in the racing hall of fame. He, he, he's a major figure. It's just, I didn't feel like the movie gave me any insight. And ultimately it's a movie about a little guy, Ferrari, who cares a lot about doing something beautifully and, hand making things. I mean, yeah. what is usually the protagonist of a movie, this self-made artist, Enzio <laughs> Ferrari, who wants to create something beautiful and immaculate and actually succeeds at it. This movie is about that dude going up against <laughs> someone who's just like, I'll throw money at it. <laughs> yeah. well, that's, we'll, we'll keep throwing money at it until yeah. they cannot we resist. We have all right? the money. Let's just buy a win. Yeah, and then yeah. that's what Ford is not a good guy. Ford is not a good like company here either. I think I think you're completely right, Jeff. Like they're and we could talk more about this in spoilers, but yeah, Ferrari, there there is so much like yeah, he they are the little guy. It is sort of like if you made something about Disney trying to fight uh I don't know, the Criterion channel or something, right? <laughs> like this artisan uh, experience versus the content monolith of Disney. I see what you're saying, but it's 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 yeah. a weird thing, and the title is you know it's Ford versus Ferrari, and you go oh my gosh yeah Ferrari is like is is synonymous with speed, and how could they ever do it? It's like what's the answer? They just spent more money. They just spent way more money. It it, it is that's really the answer to this whole question, and I, I don't know. I would have I would have liked this movie to actually kind of give me more insight into. You know, if this was more like uh, free solo in in understanding the rigor and commitment it takes to do these endurance races, the the precision and the commitment. I mean, there's so little of that. So much of that is just completely ignored. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, you talk a little bit, Devendra, about the wife character. Oh, my gosh. Talk about failing the Bechtel test. Whoa. She is does not exist except to get sodas for her man. Uh, it is it's a it's a it's a bit. She's literally the only female character in the whole movie. And yeah, yeah. You know, it's I don't not know. great. It's not great. This is a man's man's movie, as they as they say. I will say that, Jeff, like there is there's so this movie's two and a half hours long. And it didn't it didn't quite feel like that to me because to me. the internal intrigue at Ford, like I 
guys, I write about companies. I care a lot about like corporate intrigue and things like that. The stuff going on in this, like, um, the whole idea is that, yeah, Ford spent more money, but also Ford was kind of forced to, because it, this is basically a dick measuring contest between, you know, Henry Ford II and Enzo Ferrari in a way, like, because Ferrari called their cars ugly uh, and said Ford was not, you know, was just the second and he's not the original Henry Ford. Like, I he's think he's actually like, the third, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's yeah, Henry Ford the second, but he's the grandson. He's the third. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, you know, th- that is, that shows too, like, how much innovation in this world. It comes about just because of like a rich guy felt offended or like he had an idea. Um, the idea that, you know, Ford is a major company that, you know, builds these assembly line products that like basically cookie cutter cars. The movie lays out in a really like interesting madman fashion that, you know, at the time they're just not cool. How do you, how do you get cool? You get cool by doing something sexy. And that, that requires bringing in visionary designers. And I think that's, that's the story is the idea of, you know, individual creativity, visionary creativity, trying to exist under a crushing and cynical corporate structure. Well, then, because, yeah, for Ford is the villain of this movie, too, even though it's Ford v. Ferrari. Yeah, but uh, then make that movie. Like, I, I'm into that they movie. Did. No, they, they, <laughs> they, they give lip service to that movie, and the whole fight is about whether or not they're going to let this driver drive instead of, it could have, I mean, literally this movie is like, we're going to cr- try to create the, the craziest car ever. Cut to next scene. Car pulls up. Here's what we did. It's like, no, no. Tell me about that process. Like, I want to know. I, I think that's the interesting bit is how you go from zero to making that car. And they completely just yada, yada, yada that in, in favor of talking about how, well, we're not going to let that guy drive. That guy has to drive. Well, you're not going to let that guy drive. Well, we, we got to let that guy drive. It's like it, that. I wanted this movie to give me a reason to be interested in any of this. And I just I, don't I do think, think like, that, that back and forth though, isn't that simple, right? Cause we do. And some of this gets into spoilers, but they, there is a process to this movie. There is, this is a process movie where they start with this crazy prototype that Ford was working on. It wasn't quite perfect and it needs to be like honed down a little. And that was basically, that's the drama of the engineering side oh. from Ken miles and Carol Shelby. But yeah, Dave, you, yeah, you haven't, I, had a I don't, speak, I mean, but. I don't, I, I uh, let me just say first of all, I think you're both making awesome points, right? Like I think Jeff, you're right that like it's not showing the the problem solving that's happening. Uh, and Devendra, I think you're right. Like there is a meta point of uh, like a lot of innovation in the world happens because of corporate dick measuring. I do think that uh, this movie is too earnest to to really kind of uh, fully embrace that message, right? I think that it. It, yes, Ford. Ford is not necessarily positioned as the victor, uh, or uh, let me put it this way: they're not positioned as the good guy, but they are positioned as roughly on the side that we should be rooting for, right? They're ah! like, e- even though, like, we we ultimately want Ford to win the race. That that is ultimately we want Shelby. We, we want Shelby, and we want Ken Miles to win. Like that's what we the, want. The movie is for- called Ford v Ferrari. It, okay, it, it, you, yes. it wants you to be on one of those sides, and that side is Ford. Yes, Ford is an imperfect protagonist, and uh, they, you know, it's not perfect, but like they are ultimately facilitating the win that Shelby and uh, Ken Miles are doing. Yeah, and but yes, that, they may they may do struggle. dickish that things. That is the struggle and- of this movie, by the way. Like they. I know on on a certain end, we are rooting for Ford to succeed because they're the ones who benefit, who, you know, by Ford's grace, Carol Shelby and Ken Miles can do their thing and be creative. And that is that is the, you know, blood cost every every single artist has to make. 
yeah. in the world. Right? I agree you have that this, and, and that's, that's the, the yeah. great point you're making, Devinder, that I, I really like is that that this movie, in my opinion, works best as a metaphor for any creative process, right? That like, um, it's a miracle that creativity survives in bureaucratic institutions where you design things by committee and everything needs to be approved by you know hundreds of people. Uh, completely agree that as a metaphor, uh, the movie works really well. As an actual movie, I cannot disagree with you more about this movie being a process movie. I mean, we have seen process movies, okay? Let me let me shoot out a couple of process movies for you. Uh, Spotlight, really great process movie about like how we, how are we going to find these people? Like, here's the here's a trail of information we need to follow in order to crack this case. Uh, let me put another one that's more close to this one in terms of its feel. Uh, Apollo thirteen, you know. I still remember that scene when it's like, hey, we need to make this round circle thing fit into the square circle thing using nothing but these things, right? And like uh, yeah. like all these problems that they're encountering and they need to solve them one by one. Even, Even Matt the Damon's, Martian. Yeah, The Martian, Matt Damon's own film, The Martian, mm-hmm. right? Where the, he's like, he's encountering all these issues. And yes, there's, there's some deus ex machina-esque elements where like, oh, he just happens to have the right solution each time. But at least that movie was concerned about what the problems were. Guys, uh, I feel like, I almost feel like we saw a completely different yes, movie though. Yes, like here, here's did. the thing, like they, we did. once they get the supercar, right? I, I think the big cheat in this movie is that, okay, the, the, the conflict is... Ford wants to enter Le Mans. They have, what, 90 days to do it or something, or 60 days. Um, it turns out Ford just happened to be working on, like, a very fast car prototype that was going to be used in races. So that, that Vindra, saved them a lot of time. Yeah, There's literally a scene in this movie where somebody goes, you're going to put that engine into that? And they yes. go, and they, and they go, we already did. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's not a process. That's, that's we, that's, the we process already is that. I'm not saying that this movie can recreate history or anything here, because I think a lot of it is that, oh, Ford just happened to have this prototype. So there's no there's no genius meeting session where they get to, like, drop the car and design it completely. But once Christian Bale sits in that first prototype and goes on the test drive and starts listing down bit by bit. Oh, you know, it's a little too front loaded. It's too floaty. It wanna, it wants to fly off. Like he does this process where he completely deconstructs because he deconstructs this car after a single drive and that whole scene of them putting uh what was it wool and tape on the car to point out where the specific parts were dragging like that felt like such a great bit of engineering geekery that it sounds like that, that's like, is what, that a, not enough to be part of a process movie? that's what this movie is it's it's these tiny bits of engineering geekery it's like the time when the the explosion oh here's the time when the explosion happened here's a time when we taped the things in the car there is no kind of linear sense of like this is what we're trying to achieve. They, Here are the obstacles. Like, like the great, the best process movies are. This is the objective. Here, like, here's the steps we took to get there. Oh, we we encountered some setbacks. Here are the things we did to address those setbacks. None of that happens in this film. Are yeah. you? Are you? Those, I, those, this those this feels here. a little maddening, though, because no, no. you mentioned the brakes thing. The brakes thing is not. That's not like just for fun. That's not just a thing that happened. That was the thing where they realized. Guys, our engine is running too hot. The brakes can't handle it. How do we deal with the situation? We literally redesign how brakes are replaced during the race, and that involves taking out the whole assembly. Like that, that is a major part of this movie. That is the process of surviving the, things, the race. The things that you're pointing out as being moments of process for the Miles character, uh, the Ken Miles character, aren't there to provide process. They're there to provide his superhero cred. 
there are they're it's just both. yeah they're yeah, just yeah. they're just complicated words that he says out of his mouth so we so we are given a shortcut version into thinking he's a superhero in this sense he has this magical ability to sense things in the car that other people don't it has nothing to do with explaining the moment to moment problem solving that they would go through to do it what i'm talking about is is hey we need to get this engine into that thing this movie goes yeah we already did yeah I but a, I'm, a I'm, better movie- I'm, I, I agree that's a problem but that does seem like a situation where they did already do that like they had this prototype in in history at least from what i've read so that seems like the interesting bit that's the interesting bit to me is is yeah. how do we figure that out how do we where how do we get to this point instead of you know th- this movie spends so much time just trying to tell us tell us that Ken Miles is this savant that can feel a car better than everybody but else. But that, that is literally, only... that's also the Martian, guys. Like, if we can accept the deus ex machina, you know, genius problem solving of the Martian, I do feel like, you know, this guy who is laying out things that seem pretty accurate because other well, people the... tend to agree. Like, it's, he's he's not just saying it, he's showing it. The whole, the whole, like, ribbons on the car thing shows it the when the car almost blows up guys like that is a momentous thing that's not just him saying hey by the way we got to do something about these brakes that is the goal of this movie is surviving a 24-hour race against you know the fastest car maker in the world like i don't to me i see the clear line that you're asking for yeah i'll give you i'll give you the brakes thing that that a movie that was made up of more of that kind of thing i would have enjoyed a lot more I think that was like it's kind of one of these things where like like a, a biopic itis where hey we're gonna fast forward past all these details and just give you like the little yeah, highlights yeah, yeah. you know oh hey you, we had to replace the whole brake assembly um, one time the car almost blew up we taped all these all the shit to the car you know it's like oh these are like visually interesting moments and they create some minor drama but ultimately I'm not left with a clear understanding of like the problems they were trying to solve and the methodology that they used to solve them. Um, and you felt like you got that. What is the, what, what is the process of driving this race? Who, when do you sleep? Who takes over? How does it work? What are the fucking rules? I don't have any idea of watching this movie. I just know that there's a superhero driver and he's the only one that can win the race, even though it actually takes four people in real life. I I will say there, this movie does describe certain things. Like it does say like Le Mans is not a normal race. You know, there's a whole scene of them describing this is not a normal track. These things, it's very narrow. It's a country road, basically. Like, they do lay out bits. But I agree that the movie could have explained more of the process of how the drivers swap out and everything like that. That was a little confusing. When do people sleep? When do they pee? Whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Dave. Or the, And also the fact that I think in Le Mans, it's about, um, I, I believe it's, how much time you can travel in the 24 hours. It's not yes. about like crossing yes. a finish line after a certain number of flat. Like yep. there's just a lot of basic information that was omitted um, in order to streamline the storytelling. But Jeff, I, I definitely sympathize with your frustration. I mean, the, the thing is, Devendra, uh, you know, for me, the problem is not that they admitted, omitted all that stuff. It's that the stuff they replaced it with was fundamentally pretty uninteresting to me. You know, it's, it's that they replaced it with all, all this like, like character micro drama about oh is he gonna is he gonna drive the race he he shouldn't drive it let's have him drive it you know the james mangold film guys like that that character micro drama is is the movie his movies are about these really like human stories about you look at copland you look at like freaking logan these movies are about the what drives these people what motivates them and i feel like you know for for shelby 
it was the fact that, you know, he the movie starts with him in a race and basically realizing he can't race anymore, um, giving me a lot of like vibes of the writer where this thing he really wanted to do, he was basically, you know, barred from doing. So he's trying to find some sort of purpose for himself. Ken Miles feels like this guy who's really talented, who is kind of a dick. Kind of, it has anger issues and has never really figured out his issue, his way, uh, you know, in life. To me, those those interpersonal dramas really make this movie. Like the infighting at uh, at four is really interesting because there's definitely one executive who is positioned as like, oh, this guy, this guy embodies everything we hate. This guy embodies like all the problems of modern corporate, you know, uh, modern capitalism, basically. And um, we'll talk more about that in spoilers. But yeah. I think it's really it is. This movie is certainly earnest, but I think it is it is it is very realistic in terms of where it goes. And they could also couldn't cheat history, but they could have ended things a little earlier or tried to like cushion the way it was framed. And this movie is directly framed at like, oh, man, like, yeah, we thought Ferrari was the bad guy, but it turns out it's it's Ford all along. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate you valiantly defending the movie against us, Devendra. It's always hard to be the odd person out on one of these reviews, but I think you've done a good job at at uh, making the case for for, for Ford v. Ferrari. Let's talk about spoilers for this movie starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So I, I, I'm just shocked that your make like that your interpretation is that Ford is the villain of, of the movie. They, they definitely Guys, screwed over Ken Miles in a pretty he, yeah, harsh he way. Won, he won the race. They, everything about that situation is, oh man, these Ford executives are really fucking him over and he ends up doing the thing that they wanted and Ford wins. But the guys we've been following, the protagonists of this movie are completely like shit upon basically like that. That to me, feels pretty villainous like the the bad executive wins he got what he wanted yeah uh i think you're probably right about that i guess that like i think that, you know probably the problem i had with the movie is that like i was pretty uninvested in whether or not ford would win at all like uh, i i just sure. who who cares whether ford is able to be like the, here here's the thing i love underdog sports movies you know this about me right like remember the titans miracle etc and uh, I, I feel like many of those movies are about American exceptionalism, right? Sure. But yeah. when, but at their best, they're also about other things. Like, remember the Titans? You know, wh whatever the case of the true story that's based on, the the fundamental thing that it's about is uh, racial harmony. It's basically like, hey, these two groups of people that uh, hate each other can be brought together through the magic of sports. And that's extremely cheesy and it's extremely yeah. earnest, but it does still get to me. And in this movie, I, I guess you could make the case, right, as I've already said, that this movie is about trying to accomplish a creative endeavor in a very challenging situation. But I think the problem is that, like, the 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 fundamental, like, yeah, reasoning behind why it was all happening, which is, as you said, astutely, Devendra, a dick measuring contest, um, just didn't, like, I, I was so uninvested in what the outcome of that was. Sure, and sure, it's sure. not like, 
A, it's not like America makes the best cars, in my opinion, or Ford makes the best cars these days. Um, so it's not like, oh man, like remember Ford? Like they they are like so glorious today that this movie is a great way of reminding us how amazing they are. Certainly, they're. Ha- I'm sure they're happy with the movie, but uh, it, it just is like, what is this movie trying to say about uh, American ingenuity and about Ford? And I, I don't find that any of its messages beyond that nugget of creativity uh, yeah. resonated with me. I, I do so. feel like it's trying to say a lot though, because like what the whole the whole Ford storyline starts with Lee Iokoka going to Ferrari and being like, "We're just gonna buy you." And their terms were not agreeable. And also, like, they were just using it as, like, a way to get to Fiat, basically, right? To, like, make that merger happen. Um, that that was Ford's initial stance. Like, let's just buy the best because that's what we do as Americans. And then the next step is, oh, they offended us. So now we have to crush them using the almighty weight of capitalism. I am right there with you, Dave, in terms of loving uh, underdog movies. This is an underdog movie. The underdog is Ken Miles. And he is working for Ford. Perhaps, you know, the biggest car company at the time, I believe. Um, but he is an underdog working for, you know, but he's the villainous working corporate overlord. for the overdog. He <laughs> is. He is. And it is about this movie is about that conflict. And it's not just the creative vision it is about, you know, what you how do you survive? How do you maintain your own integrity as an underdog uh, where you, even in this environment, you're never going to be fully accepted. They're using you and your talents and abilities to ultimately, you know. Uh, yeah, push forward their corporate business plan and uh, get more sales for their next earnings report. That is why I think the ending of this movie is just kind of perfect because what it is is like, oh yeah, in the end, money wins. In the end, Ford wins. In the end, Ford crushes the underdog and he just walks away and is eventually killed by the company he's working for. Like, guys, I know this movie is earnest as hell, but I think it is also like realistically cynical in a way that I found kind of crushing by the end. Like I kind of knew that was coming because stories writing about this movie have mentioned that uh, he passed those away. Um, but the impact of it, his son's response, his son who has this like great expressive face, like it is that left me for a gut punch. Like so many bits of this movie work like that. I, I do think that the way, you know, that's one way of describing it, Devendra, and it's very, it's a very positive way. I do like also the way Jeff described it, which is you you could imagine a version of this movie that is told from the uh, Ferrari's point of view, right? Where uh, they are going up against this huge faceless corporation that doesn't have the artistry that they do, and they win just by sheer force of might. And that just is very difficult to get behind. Um, they're, they're, yeah, their biggest sin in this movie, Ferrari, is saying, fuck you, I don't want you to buy us. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, also yeah. saying, uh, all your executives are sons of whores. Sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's I, guys, I could see that movie, too. I could see that movie as well, uh, you know, being an Italian movie or something like from the perspective of Ferrari. But that is that is much simpler because then it is just, oh, the underdog, which also, by the way, is a very, like, very world renowned car company, even though they're the underdog sales wise, like they are at the artistic heights. Of everything you know it's sort of like apple being the underdog in the uh you know in the mid 2000s versus windows or something even though uh i think a lot of people would argue the artistry and like what apple was doing was much better than microsoft like it, it it's a tougher story to tell and also it's a little more simple in a way because it gets it gets you what you want from the title it gets you one side versus another side and this movie is not about that this well, movie is about of, like speaking yeah. of simplifying things davindra i mean 
I'll just say this. This is separate, really, kind of from the film, but that, like, I am getting pretty tired of these movies that basically serve as, like, hagiographies for these great men in American history. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Carol Shelby. This is from an article in Bloomberg. Carol Shelby was a notorious womanizer who blew through six marriages and was heading toward divorce from his seventh when he died. He spoke to everyone with language so blue it was legendary. Ask any car journalist or professional driver who knew him. And they've got plenty of descriptive words to describe the way he treated anyone with an earshot. Many of those words are unprintable here. For fun, he shot lions, elephants, and rhinoceroses on animal hunts in Africa. He filed so many lawsuits against Ford, against local car builders, against online forums, and ironically, against the company that would later supply, uh, supply all the Cobras for this film that he became more known and reported on for that in his later years than for any feats of automotive genius. Um, And in fact, after the blast of success of the AC Cobras in the 1960s, uh, Shelby didn't have a single real hit. Instead, there were claims he falsely represented many of the cars he sold. Mm-hmm. End quote. So uh, yeah, I'm not saying he's a good guy. <laughs> I'm saying like, like, here's the thing. Like, yes, he, he's a terrible human being. Uh, we could go back to a lot of the movies we've uh, reviewed, the uh, the Winston Churchill movie. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there about these people that these movies tend to gloss over. So, sure, I'm reviewing, you know, what this what this story is actually saying. And like he was he was a part of this part of history, basically. So I'm just reviewing like what what this movie is giving us. I'm not well, I mean, what the movie is giving us is an extremely cleaned up version of okay. this guy's yeah. life, right? And, yeah, I hear uh, you. And I think that, like, th- th- that just kind of, like, I-, I left this movie, which, in my opinion, did not need to be two and a half hours long, and came out of it, and I was like, well, th- that made me feel kind of gross because I, like, it put me in the position of not necessarily rooting for Ford the company, as you said, Devendra, but, like, rooting for their side in, like, the, as you, as I think we all agree... My, uh, uh, Carol Shelby and Ken Miles are positioned as the protagonists who we are meant to root for. And we yes. want them to win on behalf of Ford, even though Ford dicks them over a little bit. And I'm like, oh, well, that, made, that made me feel kind of gross. And I didn't really enjoy sitting through two and a half hours in a packed theater on Friday night to watch that. But whatever. Then I read the actual story and I'm like, now I'm actually like legitimately pissed because okay. I would have hated this. I don't know if that's this. fair to the movie, but I, I hear you, Dave. I, yeah. I also am tired of movies that are just about the greatness of like older white men. Uh, I'm just saying this one is so it is a well-made movie. It is a movie also about like the emotional interior of these guys in ways that are inaccessible to them. Like that, the scene of them fighting on the street that's in the trailer. And I think they're that scene alone tells you tells you everything about the relationship between these two men right there's a point where um matt damon is like reaching for stuff to hit uh christian bale with and like he grabs like a can of something and you could see in like a split second he's like uh n- no no that will actually hurt him so i'm gonna hit him with this loaf of bread and that's it's like a fight between brothers and i think that scene things like that tell us so much about these characters um freaking uh henry ford the second his uh test drive in the final version of the car that's Amazing. the best scene in the movie. Best, best scene in the, the movie. movie. Yeah, and it's, him it's, understanding the full weight of what is happening and what he's building. Like It's because of Tracy Letts' performance. Yes. Tr- Tracy Letts yeah. in that scene, it, the, the, the way he cries in that scene, that scene could have been ridiculous or goofy. It, it, it is a... It it is the best scene in the movie by yeah. far, in my opinion. It's a come to Jesus moment, and the, it's, it's he, all one. The, he, James Mangold, the, the cinematographer, uh, uh, they hold that shot. Like they don't yeah. cut away from that shot. It just stays on that shot. It, yeah. It's it's an extraordinary emotional breakdown that he has that feels so authentic and disturbing. Like 
that scene could have been it could have been goofy it could have been over the top it could have been cartoonish it could have been like oh here's the magical moment where we turned the you know by the way this scene never happened in real life but <laughs> the 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 reason it it works so well in the film i think is because tracy let's completely invests in how i don't know if either of you guys have ever been in a in a car that goes that kind of speed but you can no. there are places you can go and you can you know do a, a lap around nascar or whatever and go 200 miles an hour that's how it feels. It feels like, Oh, I am definitely going to die. No one should be doing this. This is horrible. And I loved that he went there in that moment. It's, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot that scene. And I think it's the best scene in the movie. Well, speaking of good scenes of the movie, I actually, you know, uh, I've been trying to say why I didn't like this movie, but one of the things I really loved about the movie are the racing scenes. I think that they're extremely well done and it's not obvious how you would do racing scenes uh, yes. at that speed. Like, there's yeah. literally some cameras can't go at that speed. Like, they can't. There's a, there's a shot, Dave, that starts overhead, and, like, the car is going full blast. It looks like the car is going 100 miles per hour, and the gar- the camera goes from overhead down to car level, which seems insane. So is the, is, was that CG, or was that just a crane right, right. moving really, really that's, fast? That's the thing, yeah. is for most of this film... The CG and the practical are indistinguishable. And by the yeah. way, in general, cameras cannot go at that speed, right? I think think about like the fact that they're th- these are the, some of the fastest vehicles in the world, right? So how are you going to film a fast vehicle at the speed it's going? You need to have like a truck or something with a camera on it, and it's difficult to do that when you're going that fast. Um, and so I don't know what combination Isn't a of, lot of cg, Isn't a lot of uh, CG yeah my guess movie? is it's a lot of cg but it, a lot of it felt yeah. real to me you know like mm-hmm. whether or not yeah. it's cg it felt like they actually did it i don't i'm not saying they actually did but like it was convincing to me is what i'm saying and and i was yeah. very like it makes you forget that cameras generally can't move that fast and uh, i think that is a huge achievement so yeah uh, i do want to give it credit like on a technical level i thought it was very well done so. and it feels like he shot it in a really old school way too it felt like he didn't use like you can compare this movie to Rush too, right? The Ron Howard movie where that movie went all in on like digital photography and like really extreme slow mo and just giving you a sense of speed that way. Whereas this feels like this movie could have been made in the seventies or something and would have looked the same or similar. Well, I mean, some of the camera movements with the, the cars are Without like, the impossible. CG, sure, but yeah, it feels but like, like you know a movie. But I agree, it's like class. It yeah. feels classically made overall, um, yeah. apart from the racing scenes. Um, so anyway, I did want to acknowledge that like it is actually like a huge accomplishment the way they did that part. So, all right, well we've been, we're going a little bit over, but I think we can wrap it up here. Um, Ford v Ferrari, it has like a ninety-two percent Rotten Tomatoes and an A plus Cinema Score. So, that never happens. Yeah, A plus Cinema it. Score. People love this movie. Love <laughs> this movie. So, Jeff, you like and I are the odd people out. On this I movie. guess it just felt so. <sighs> It was not even bad. It's not bad. It's yeah, not I don't bad think it's, movie. I don't it's, think it's bad. Yeah, yeah it's just it's just like okay, all right. Well, I don't understand the enthusiasm. Same, Jeff. But, same. But um, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Devendra, and I think yes. many millions of people out there have as well. So. Um, all right, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Find more episodes at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast.gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger, and our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Devendra Harder, where can find more of your work on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Uh, check out the new Engadget podcast there. Uh, we are just talking about our holiday gift guide, so lots of cool ideas there. How about you, Jeff Kanata? 
You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I have a video game podcast called DLC that you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC or wherever you get podcasts. I also do a live play Dungeons and Dragons show where we're making up a, a long form narrative story. A lot of people have been asking me about uh, how, you know, if, if you need Dungeons and Dragons knowledge to watch it, no, or listen to it, no, you can listen to it as a podcast. Uh, it's just story. It's just a, a fun story. And I urge you to give it a shot. You can find that by searching for The Dungeon Run wherever you get podcasts or on YouTube. There's uh, YouTube videos if you're searching for The Dungeon Run. Or you can watch when we record live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. I'm doing a new show where I interview filmmakers, authors, and other interesting people. You can find it at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Next week, we'll be reviewing Jojo Rabbit, the new Taika Waititi movie. Jojo Rabbit. Check it out. It's out in limited release right now. And we'll see you on the Slash Filmcast next week. <laughs>